Well, tonight we have with us uh, Matt Schmucker. Matt has been, was on our staff for a number of years, and the last few years he's been uh, busy getting his master's and in college and being a dad of four and all that stuff. And uh, so we've asked him to come back and share with us tonight and in the next couple weeks. And uh, he helped develop the uh, freedom curriculum and the freedom ministry here at Res Life. And so he's going to be sharing with us for the next couple weeks. And... Uh, he also happens to be married to my niece, and I'm really glad that he's such a good guy. Um, he's a really good dad and a really good guy and a good husband and all that good stuff. So this is Matt. Listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. Well, well thank you, Pastor Bernie. Um, yeah, thank you for that introduction. As, as Bernie was saying, I, I am very, very familiar with this place. Um, and I see familiar faces. Um, I grew up here. I started attending church here when I was five years old. And I uh, was here for 30 years. And uh, like Pastor Bernie said, I, I uh, went back to school full time and have gotten my uh, master's degree in counseling and um, have gotten licensed by the state and uh, am opening up a practice with a, a few other therapists in Granville. And we'll be doing marriage and family therapy, amongst other things there. Um, so just an update to those of you that know me and those of you that don't. Um, but yeah, tonight I want to talk to you all about freedom. And actually, before I say that, I, I got a couple things I want to say, too. I just want to say how grateful I am for Pastor Bernie. Um, he has just been a, a tremendous influence in my life that I'm eternally grateful for. Uh, when I first got saved at age 17, God brought him into my life to bring some stability because uh, I think we all know that when we get like radically saved and on fire for God, sometimes that can be a volatile yet great season in our life. And Bernie helped anchor me then and, and is still helping me now. So I'm really grateful for him and for his influence in my life. And then also I just wanted to say too, while we were singing, um, I don't know, are Bruce and Jared still here? They're here somewhere. But I just really appreciate Bruce and Jared. And, and when I was singing, I just, and I, Bruce, if you can hear me and wherever you are, I just, I just felt impressed to, to share with Bruce while we were singing. It just kind of, the Lord impressed upon my heart. I know Bruce from years ago just to be a faithful man with a great heart and um, just a tremendous servant. And... Um, you know, those were the things I was feeling for you, Bruce, as we were singing, and then I just felt it kind of like increase and just felt the Lord's pleasure for you. And I don't know why, and maybe it's just because, because sometimes God is just so good like that. I just felt like he wanted you to know that the faithfulness and good stuff aside, he just loves you and enjoys you and is pleased with you just for who you are. So just felt impressed to share that, Bruce. And uh, now let's talk about freedom. Um, so as Pastor Bernie said, I, I was uh, part of staff here, and one of the things that I did was help to develop the freedom ministry here at Res Life Church. And uh, if you guys haven't engaged in that here, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's still going on here, we, the classes that are going on, and I don't know the frequency of those now, but then the Kairos events that are going on, because a lot of the things I'm going to talk about tonight in the next two weeks, you can get more of that in those classes and in Kairos and in the things that Pastor Deb Curtis is doing. Um, so tonight and for the following two weeks, I'm going to be discussing how to have a soul 
oriented toward freedom. Um, you know, doing the freedom ministry here at Res, freedom's really been a, a big part of my life even before that, just personally. I knew when I, when I did get saved that I began to know intuitively and because of messages that I would hear that, you know, we weren't just saved to go to heaven someday, but that what Jesus did profoundly impacted our lives now. And that Jesus didn't just purchase uh, an eternal pass into heaven, but he purchased freedom for us in our lives starting the day that we receive him. And so I became intensely interested in that and also intensely aware of areas that I needed freedom in my life. And so for me, it's been a pursuit of freedom and, and cultivating more of that in my life. And then as, as that's happened, just the desire to help others experience more freedom in their lives has become a passion of mine. And uh, <clears throat> so in, in just the last several years helping people get free and myself getting free, um, I've come to notice that when we talk about something like freedom, often, you know, the kind of questions that we have personally or the kind of questions people ask me is, you know, how do, what are the steps that I need to take? What are the things I need to do to get free from? And they'll usually give a very particular sin or problem that they've identified in their lives. Um, <clears throat> and over tonight and over these three weeks, I'm not going to be giving a message based on how to take care of specific sins in your life. Um, so what I cover might be a little bit unexpected because often, um, you know, when we think about freedom, like I said, we just want to be told kind of what to do. But the problem with that are there are inherent ways that we pursue freedom that if we have the, the how to do it steps, we can still be led into bondage and even strengthening bondage in our lives. So instead of just telling you what to do to be free from a particular sin, I wanna, I wanna help us to begin to think in such a way that freedom becomes a way of life rather than just specific tasks to accomplish or things to cross off the list. <clears throat> well, let me say that in another way. Um, in our pursuit of freedom, we often start out with trying to tackle specific obstacles that we've identified. I wanna be free from depression, I want to be free from relational issues, addictions, things that have come into our awareness that we know that we don't want in our lives anymore. However, if we're trying to get free from any of those obstacles and we have the wrong definition of what freedom is, we can come to the end of that pursuit in more bondage than when we started. An example, a couple examples I think of, you know, if I define freedom, whether knowingly or unknowingly in my heart as Something, you know, we grew up in the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? Me just saying freedom conjures up a lot of different imageries and ways of thinking about freedom. Each and every one of you have slightly different ways of thinking about it, and those can either be really helpful or really not helpful. Now, I can begin to conceptualize freedom in my mind as something like, well, nobody can tell me what to do. That's freedom. But if that is really my target, then it's really, I'm really pursuing more like something like rebellion. And I might actually close my ears to hearing voices that are telling me really good things that are helpful. On the flip side of that extreme, I could identify freedom as being as compliant as possible to all the voices in my life, or even just the good voices in my life. And what I can end up with is a lifeless, mindless, compliant, well-performing individual, but that's not really freedom either. 
So how we think about freedom and how we define it is very important because it's going to determine what we're actually pursuing. Secondly, even if I get the right definition and I'm aiming at the right target, if I am the source of my own freedom, then I'll never arrive at the true biblical concept of it. If at the very heart of it, I'm the source of my freedom, I'm never going to arrive at the biblical concept of it, and you'll, you'll see as we unravel this, but it's kind of like if, I'm, if I run out of gas and my solution is to get out of the car, get my little red tank out of my trunk, and I begin to siphon fuel from my own tank. It's not gonna work. I, as my own source, cannot produce the kind of freedom that I was designed for. So if we want to live lives of freedom, before we tackle the how-tos of the specific obstacle, we need freedom from bad definitions and freedom from ourselves. So tonight, next week, and the following, I really hope to get into that. That at the end of those three weeks, you can look back and say, I feel like I've got the right target and that I know how to be free from myself in pursuing that. All right. So I wanna talk about defining freedom then the biblical way tonight, in a, in a biblical context, in a biblical sense. So first off, just in, in, important to, to know that freedom is something that Jesus is all about. In Luke 4, 16 through 21, this is Jesus starting his ministry. It says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus, when he launched his earthly ministry, got up and announced what the Lord had anointed him to do and if you listen to the cadence in that, freedom is a big theme of what Jesus has come to do, and what he's come to do is to restore humanity to their original design, to bring freedom where there was bondage, to put things right, and to heal broken hearts. Well, freedom is the ministry of Jesus. He came to set captives free. Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Paul was writing to the church in, in Galatia there where they had begun to learn and walk the way of freedom and a, and a religious sect came in and started to reorient them back to bondage. And he's reminding them, Christ came to set you free. It was for freedom that Christ came to set you free. And he takes the, the book of Galatians and tries to reorient them to a life of freedom. And it's also helpful, helpful for us to know that as human beings, we were created and hardwired for this thing we're talking about tonight called freedom. In the same way that we have innate within us hungers, thirst, man, I really love the, 
the songs tonight, they really played into what I'm talking about. <laughs> Maybe God's in this, huh? You know, we, we have these innate hungers and thirsts that point us in the direction of things that will bring us life. And I'm just talking right now from a physical perspective. If your body is hungry, how many of you know it'll let you know? And you will seek out and you will pursue that which will satisfy the hunger. If you're thirsty, you don't have to have somebody tell you. You begin to know, right now my mouth is a little dry, right? So I need to, I need to get some water. That's something that we know intuitively. And just like we have these physical hungers and thirsts, they point to an even deeper, more life-giving hunger and thirst that is inside of all of us. And it was put in us when we were created. Adam was created from the breath of God and he was created to contain the life of God, created in the image of God. And after Genesis 3, we're born into a condition where that's been separated from us. But the hunger, the desire, and the thirst for that life is still very much on the inside of us and still very much directing us in ways that a lot of times we don't even understand. In John chapter six, and I don't think I actually gave this scripture over, but I'm just gonna summarize because it's a long chapter. In John chapter six, you see Jesus talking to people about this very thing. Um, he's ministering to people and he feeds them food, he feeds them bread, and it says that they, they sought him out because of the bread that they ate. And then they found him and they asked him why he took off and he, he began to tell them, you're, you're pursuing me because I fed you food and you ate it and your, and your bellies are full. But I tell you, don't labor for that which you eat and it goes away, but labor for the food which gives you eternal life. He pointed to their natural hunger to point them to the even deeper spiritual hunger that they had on the inside of them, this desire for life and life more abundantly. It is an eight within all of us. And so these people were, <laughs> I wanna encourage you there, these people were pursuing Jesus for some of the wrong reasons. And some of us may be pursuing Jesus for some of the wrong reasons, that's okay. Keep pursuing him, but just listen to what he's saying as you pursue. Because he says to them, come to me and I will give you eternal life. And they got kind of mad. So when you're pursuing him and he starts telling you things that feel different than what you think you need to have, just listen to him. He'll direct you towards the right target of freedom in your life. But we're hardwired for this. And so what happens is in our own often ignorant pursuit of wanting to feel more alive, Knowing there's this ache on the inside of us, C.S. Lewis talks about it as though we all ache for Eden, for the garden of God. Unknowingly, we had this longing to be reunited to what we were meant to be. And we had this ache and this longing and this drive on the inside of us. And what the enemy likes to do is he likes to come alongside of us and define what it is that we need to fulfill that. Now, there's only one thing that can fulfill that. And that is the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in us, him being the source of life. But the enemy likes to come alongside of us and you know, we might be that, that radically new saved 17 year old and he touched our hearts and we're ready to, to follow him. But then the enemy comes alongside and says, you know that ache you're feeling, it's not that, it's, it's actually like donuts. Yeah, food, that'll comfort you. I'm still working on that. You know, 
And, and he, we have this drive, and then, and then in this fallen world that we're in, not only do we have these longings and these drives, but then pain gets added to it. Anybody here ever experience any pain in life? I guess I'm alone. <laughs> pain gets added to it. So not only do we want to feel more alive, but we want to feel comforted. And separated from God, we begin to pursue whatever the, the enemy whispers in our ear that we'll buy. That might be donuts, but it might be, it might be drugs. It might be relationships. It might be, you know, you, you take some drugs, that felt kind of good, well, keep chasing that, that'll give you life. Well, I had, I had sex with somebody, that felt kind of, well, keep chasing that, that'll give you life. And you latch on to something and you chase it, even though it's not bringing more freedom into your life, it seems to be digging a deeper hole. So whether it's addictions, whether it's relationships, whether it's, uh, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever those things may be, we begin to pursue those things, even though they're not really bringing freedom into our lives. Or we might pursue things like success. You know, the enemy might whisper, it, it's in success. So we study hard, we work hard, we reach the top of the, top of the food chain in our jobs. Or, or maybe even he's like, it's religious success. So I learn my church culture and I become the best in it and then I get promoted to deacon or pastor. But we can come to the end of those things and realize I don't feel any more alive or fulfilled than when I started because while none of those things are innately bad, they can't give you life. And so we're hungering after something. We have pain that we wanna have healed and if we have the wrong definition and the wrong target of freedom, we're gonna pursue things that we've defined as freedom bringing or healing, even if they're not. Um, <clears throat> oh, it's crucial that we have the targets and the definition of freedom if we are to have a soul oriented toward it. So I'm gonna look at a, a number of scriptures and provide a, a working definition of freedom, kind of a synthesis of these verses and uh, to kind of capture all the ideas that we're talking about. So, the first one is Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus was talking to a group of people that had real needs, that had real hungers, real longings. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, he said to them, don't worry about the food, don't worry about your clothes, don't worry about these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now, let's not make the mistake and think that Jesus isn't concerned with food and clothes for people. There's, there's parables where he judges the nations based on if they're clothing people and feeding people and helping people. So that's pretty serious to Jesus, but he points to this and says, well, don't seek those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now, as post-Genesis 3 people, anybody here born after Genesis 3? Okay, I'm seeing if you're with me here. As post-Genesis 3 people, we often have a way of reading scripture and looking at things through kind of a tainted lens through what we've inherited from the fall. And through that lens, we're tempted to read scriptures like these and say, seek first the kingdom and all his righteousness and these things will be added unto you. So that means 
if I do really, really good at this Christian thing, if I, if I read my Bible extra, extra long, if I pray extra hard, if I become the, the best usher, the best deacon, the best diaper changer, not that any of those things are bad, then maybe God will give me some stuff. And we can get caught in this performance trap. We can get caught in this thing of trying to figure out ways to unlock God's blessings, but I don't believe that's what this scripture is saying at all. The idea that I see being conveyed in this scripture is this, that we all seek something first. Every single one of us. You may not be able to identify it right now, but if you thought a while long enough, you know what? The thing that you seek first, the thing that, you, that you're craving, that, that longing for life directs you towards initially. I don't know if it's that donut or a cup of coffee or something much more illicit, I don't know. But we all have something we seek for. It might be, um, as I said, it doesn't have to be bad things, it can be good things. Um, but we all seek something first. Something has priority in our hearts. And whatever that thing is has power over and organizes the rest of our lives. So we can seek for something like acceptance. And if I seek first acceptance, then people and their opinions are going to have power over and order the rest of my life. Or we can seek first something like uh, financial security. And if I seek first financial security, money and things are going to have power over and order the rest of my life. The stock market volatility is gonna cause me to stay up and chatter my teeth. And but we all seek something first, and we can seek first things that are, that are good and that are necessary, but they will have power over and organize the rest of our lives. I could seek first something like freedom from depression. Now, who doesn't wanna be free from depression? But if I seek first freedom from depression, depression begins to have power over and order the rest of my life. Me personally, um, the 17-year-old the me, Maybe I was turning 18, I don't remember, but after my, my initial spark of salvation, and, you know, and I've never looked back from there, but I just got hit like a tidal wave probably a year into that. And I just remember working at a factory at Steelcase in the summers, and I had an incident happen while I was working on the line where I had this thought come into my mind, and it just caused me to double over in fear. I literally felt my stomach just go, and I was like, Oh, and from that day for two and a half years, I was tormented mentally. And it was, it was a complete hell for me. And I began to pursue freedom from that. And let me tell you, I did a lot of good things. You know, I read scripture, I prayed, I tried really hard at a lot of things, but what, what ended up happening was the problems that I was having mentally began to, as I pursued first freedom from that, I, it began to determine the types of books that I read, the type of people I would hang out with, the type of situations I would let myself get into, my sleep pattern, I mean, every, what happened was my pursuit of freedom from that actually built a cage around me. And we can even be pursuing good things but just keep in mind that what we, what we pursue, what we seek first, will have power over and order the rest of our lives. Now, let's come back to that verse. So now, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, 
and the power of his presence and his rule in our lives will begin then to have power over and to organize the rest of our lives. As we prioritize God's presence, you know that he's here? You know that when you leave, he's there? You know that when you're laying in your bed full of anxiety, he's there? And as we begin to reorient our hearts to the fact that he's present, and we begin to prioritize that, and his reign, when we pursue first that, when we prioritize that, when we surrender to that, it changes everything. When that becomes the way of life for us, that that is the priority and that is the pursuit, it changes everything. A life oriented toward freedom is one that gives priority, attention, and surrender to the presence of God, the kingdom of God, and God's ways. All right, our, our next scripture, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You could say there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus came to set captives free. As captives, we tend to think from the perspective, though, of prisoners, right? Um, we can tend to think about freedom and define freedom from the perspective of those who are captive. You know, if this podium were my bars and I live behind these bars my whole life, I may begin to think about freedom simply as the absence of these bars. You know, in my case, I, I thought about freedom as the absence of torment in my mind. Now, the problem with that is that freedom from these bars, freedom from that torment is, is simply, it's not enough. You know, it wasn't, you know, for the, for the prisoner behind bars sitting there dreaming of the day that the bars are no, no longer there, he, he doesn't often realize, or she, he or she, doesn't often realize that it wasn't the bars that got him there in the first place. And so if we just remove the bars, but something doesn't change inside of us, then it's not fully and completely the kind of freedom that God wants us to have. But we often think about freedom in that way as the absence of something. You know, we may think about freedom again as the absence of that depression, the absence of conflict in my marriage relationship, the absence of fear, uh, the absence of, of, the list could go on and on. You know, we could think about it in that way, but again, that thing just go, going away isn't quite enough. In the Bible, especially in this scripture here, it doesn't talk about freedom then as the absence of something, but it talks about freedom as the presence of someone. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, theologically, we affirm that there is nowhere that God is not, right? So what's up with this? You know, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. It says he holds all things together by his word. My, my atoms, my cells are held together by him. He's everywhere. There's nowhere that he's not. So it's not, I, I don't believe it's talking locationally that where the spirit of the Lord is, 
there's liberty, but it's talking more about our cooperation with him. You know, in the, in, in the context of that verse, they're talking about hearts turning to the Lord and him being unveiled and then beholding him and being transformed into his image. And it's that spirit, that spirit that where the spirit is, there is freedom. So then the question is, rather than how do I get free from this depression, how do I get free from this fear, I think a better question is, have I opened my heart and cooperated with the Spirit of God in every corner of my heart? Is there any places that he wants to do something more in me? Is there anywhere that he wants surrendered to him that perhaps I'm unaware of? How can I get that salvation working out more in me? Rather than just how do I get free from this specific thing, but how can I cooperate with the Spirit of God in seeing his freedom in every corner of my heart? So again, freedom is the absence of something isn't enough. We don't just want freedom from depression, we want fullness of joy. We don't want just uh, no conflict in our marriages, we want oneness. And, and life and joy and passion in our marriages. You know, we don't want just no anxiety, but we want boldness in life. We don't want just the thing gone. We don't want just the bars gone, but we want the land beyond the bars. And I would submit to you that that takes a work of the Spirit of God in us. Not just to remove the depression, but to produce fullness of joy in us. And so all of these things that we long for, they are the result of the work of God's Spirit in our hearts. All right, I'm gonna move on to the next scripture here, John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So Jesus equates something about knowing of the truth to our freedom. He says, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Now, mind you, he says before that, abide in my word, continue in my word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. A couple things I'd like to say about that. One is that if knowing the truth makes you free, that the opposite of that we can, I think, assume is also true. That if there's anywhere in my life that I'm not free, that it's perhaps I'm still believing a lie. Actually, I would say remove the perhaps. Anywhere in my life I'm not free, I'm still believing a lie. And, and now that might make you ponder a minute and let me move to the second part of that. Jesus equates the knowing of the truth to our freedom, but what I would caution us here when we read this is to recognize that what he's talking about is not just simply a memorizing of the facts that will set us free. We need to keep in mind the audience that he's talking to here, who he says, continue in my word and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. He's talking to a people that know the Bible better than you ever will. <laughs> you know, so for us to assume he's saying, you know, read the Bible more and, and you'll be made free, I have to stop and think about that. Now, I recommend reading the Bible more. But there's something about 
the way that these people knew the Bible that didn't necessarily produce freedom in them. He talked to the Pharisees in that day, the, the top religious group in, in, in Jerusalem in that day, and they had scripture memorized, they meditated on it, they did their best to do it. How, when's the last time you guys tithed off of your mint and salts and peppers? All right, the Pharisees are one up on you. And he says to them, You're, you teach people and, and, and help people to be like you, but you make them twice the child of hell that you are. He compares them to beautiful tombs. They're whitewashed on the outside, but inside they're full of death. So there was some way that the Pharisees knew the truth, but it still produced death in them. I think the Apostle Paul is a great example of this too. You know, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul. If you read in Philippians 3, he gives you his, his kind of like, his resume. He was like the man religiously. And the scriptures that he knew and meditated and loved, the way that he knew them caused him to chase down believers and want to imprison them. But something changed. Now I want to say this. The scriptures he read didn't change. When he talks lovingly and glowingly as he's writing scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament. Same scriptures, but the way that he knew them changed dramatically. And I'd submit to you, the way that he, he knew them changed in this way. He encountered the living Christ who spoke to him and he surrendered to what he was saying. <laughs> and it changed the way that he knew scripture. It changed the way he saw scripture. And I would also submit to you that the way that he continued to know the scriptures was in that manner. If you read through Philippians 3, I'm gonna reference it in a minute here, but he talks about the pursuit of my life is knowing Jesus Christ. And everything I knew before, I counted as dung, that I may know him. Even in the writing of the book of Philippians, he is still pursuing knowing the living and risen Christ. And so what I would say about knowing the truth, there is a relational implication in John 8, 31 and 32, that it's not just reading the Bible, but it's reading the Bible to encounter Jesus. And it's reading the Bible to encounter Jesus to surrender to Jesus. The, what he's saying, I'm giving my heart and life to, but when I read, I lean in to hear. <clears throat> that that is the way that we're going to know the truth and that, that freedom will come to our lives. And it will begin to change the way that we think, not just what we think, but the way that we think. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Not what he, not what he thinks, not the thoughts he has in his head, but the way that he thinks in his heart, so is he. So something about the way that we think, not just the what that we think, but the way that we think, needs to change for freedom to happen in our lives. And again, I would submit to you, the Apostle Paul is a great example to follow, that we would pursue Jesus in our reading of Scripture with a heart to surrender to what he's saying. A couple more ideas I want to share to you about freedom, and then I'll give you the definition, and then we're going to take a moment to pray. But the other thing about freedom is that it's a journey. In Philippians chapter three, verse 12, Paul, as he's continuing to pursue, pursue Jesus, continuing to know Jesus more, he says, not that I have already obtained it, 
or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. I love that, like the, the, the back and forth of that, the way, just the way that sounds. I love that. He says, I, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. The picture I get is like Paul is on the Damascus road running to you know, imprison some believers and the Lord Jesus Christ gets a hold of him. And there was uh, uh, more than just his initial conversion, Paul realized there's so much more. He laid hold of me and now I'm pursuing him for the rest of my life to lay hold of that for which he laid hold of me. I think it heavily implies a journey. And if Paul is still pressing on to, to, to obtain and, and grab hold of that for which Jesus grabbed hold of him, I would say that we need to do the same. That forgetting those things which are behind, and interestingly enough, those things he was forgetting was his resume, contextually speaking. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. Forgetting those things, I'm pursuing Jesus. I wanna know Jesus. And that's a journey. Freedom is not something that we finish a three-week series on and we've got it. Freedom is the pursuit of a person. And as we pursue that person, he makes real the person that we are. That's kind of a side benefit. And so Paul in here, I just the language I hear, the way I hear it in my heart is that I'm pressing on to become that which Jesus created me to become. And so I just want you to hear that, that freedom is a journey. So I don't know where you're at in that journey. You may have had some huge milestones. You may have, you maybe, maybe have stopped along the way. You may be, I don't know where you are, but he's calling to you. Uh, That song that we sang is coming back to me. Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. So come, come. Wherever you are, it doesn't matter where you are on that journey, come and engage in that. I worked in church staff for 12 years. I'm a pastor and I'm a licensed counselor. I need more. I need more. I want to become more of who he created me to be. And I'm not getting off that journey. And I would just encourage you to come along. Come along. Last thing I'd like to say is this in regards to thinking about freedom. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, um, he's, well, first somebody says to him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You know, this is like Jesus saying, the, all the stuff that was written, you can sum it up and hang it all on these two things. Love God with all your heart and love people. Love God and love people. You know, so our, our, our freedom journey should be something that's developing both vertically and horizontally. You know, if, if you're having these dramatic encounters with Jesus and you're um, experiencing new levels of freedom, but you're cruel to your neighbor, you know, if you, if you look at the person standing next to you with judgment in your heart, you know, or, or uh, you know, people would, by their report, say, I, I'm not seeing that. Freedom should translate both vertically and horizontally. In other words, 
the outer working of that freedom should happen among us. We should begin to become a people who love one another, who are generous with one another, who believe in one another, and not just each other, but the world. That the fulfillment of the two great commandments, that freedom, that more freedom that we have in our life, the more, the more of those commandments should be fulfilled functionally in our lives. That our love for God and our love for people increases. And, and I'm not talking about you're just trying really hard to love people. But something is beginning to awaken in your soul where you begin to see people the way that God sees people because you've oriented your soul to pursuing first his kingdom and his righteousness. And it's a work that he does in us and through us, not just something that we will and try really hard to do. So in light of all that we shared, I wanna provide you with a working definition of freedom that kind of synthesizes all those thoughts and is a lot easier to say. To respond to God fully out of who he created and redeemed us to be. That when we are talking about we wanna be a free people, I think it's a, a good statement to say that that means to respond to God fully out of who he created us and redeemed us to be. Again, it keeps it present tense, keeps it relational. To respond implies relationship to God, not to depression, not to fear, not to the voice of the enemy, not to circumstances, but we're responding to God. Fully speaks to that ongoing fullness of work that his spirit is doing in us. Out of who he created, it speaks to our original design and redeemed, speaks to the work of the cross and restoring that. So to respond to God fully out of who he created and redeemed us to be. So if you ever hear me say, I want more freedom in my life, that I'm saying I wanna, I wanna become more functionally the person who I already am as a work of the Spirit of God. Oh, as we close tonight, I would just like you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I just think it's helpful for focusing. I'd just like you to take a couple moments this isn't something that is a strain of a thing to do, but just to become aware. Let your heart become aware of the fact that God is present. He's here. And he loves you more than you could ever fathom. I just want you to just from your heart just ask the Lord if there's anything concerning what we've shared tonight about freedom or maybe something we haven't shared that he just wants to impress upon your heart in these final moments. Just pay attention to what comes to your heart, what comes to your mind as you, as you sit. as you look into your own heart and as you allow the Spirit of God to talk to you and as you just think on these things, how much God loves us and how much he has a plan for our lives and it's good. Um, 
this quietness is uncomfortable to our busy, our busy natural selves. But I want you to, as you as you leave this place and as you go to your homes, um, take some time to be quiet and reflect like this when you're alone with God, and let Him talk to you. And when He talks to you, He's gonna lead you and guide you and ask him questions that you have and let him talk to you because he longs to speak to you. He longs to help us and, and guide us and lead us. He sent us the Holy Spirit for that very purpose. So as we, as we close tonight, um, it's a real sweet, tender spirit in here tonight. Um, we're just going to allow you to... Um, be on your way when you feel like uh, you're ready to go. You just go, and uh, we're just going to have some soft music playing, and uh, you have a blessed rest of the week.